suffer and paint that we may see and enjoy. Giotto di Bandone, 1276-1337 Pope Boniface VIII, desiring to add some decorations to the sacristy of St. Peter's Church, sent messengers throughout Italy to summon the greatest artists of the peninsula to Rome. One of these messengers entered the hut of a peasant painter in Tuscany. He had heard that this homely, jocular, and uncouth artist, dividing his time between his brush and his plow, had painted some pretty pictures of his native countryside. "'His Holiness the Pope desires to examine your work, Master Giotto,' announced the messenger. "'He is summoning all good artists to Rome. "'Let's have a sample of your painting, so that we may decide whether we can employ you.' Giotto laughed and lustily dipped his brush into a pail of red paint. With a careless swish, he drew a tremendous red circle on a piece of paper and handed it to the messenger. This is my work. Look at it. Do you like it? What kind of tomfoolery is this? I'm here on a serious mission. The painter shrugged his shoulders as if to say, Take it or leave it. It's the best I can do. So, this is Giotto's work, the Pope remarked when the messenger returned with the sample. A large red circle and nothing more. He is a conceited ass, Father. The greatest opportunity ever offered him, and what does he do? He draws a big empty circle. Tell me, asked the Pope. Did he have much difficulty in drawing it without the aid of a compass? No, father, just a dip into the pail and one careless swish. Well, well, it is not a very bad circle at all. As a matter of fact, it is a very round circle. He must have a good eye and a steady hand to do this. What manner of man did you find him? He's an ordinary peasant, father, and as ugly as Satan. People tell me he's full of homely anecdotes. And he claims he is an artist. People say that he paints a sheep or a puppy on the wall on a bit of broken fence, and as if by a miracle the spot immediately blossoms into life. But, of course, only the peasants say that. Peasants know... I've heard similar stories myself about this fellow. When he was a boy, wasn't he apprenticed to the great Chimabue? They say that once, when Chimabue left the room, Giotto painted a fly on the nose of one of his master's portraits. Chimabue tried to brush the fly away when he returned. Did you inquire what sort of family he comes from? He's the son of a blacksmith, father. He was brought up tending flocks in the Mugello. Those hills in the Mugello are very green, I recall, and the folk who live there are simple folk. But from time to time there arises among them a man with a vision. You understand? I do. This man will entertain us, if not with his genius, at least with his peasant jokes. Summon him to Rome. 2. 
Giotto di Bondone came to Rome in 1296 and painted frescoes for the Pope. He painted scenes from the life of Christ. While he stood on the scaffold and painted, a crowd of good-natured homely fellows like himself peered up at him and watched his every stroke. Here was their countryman standing so unbelievably high above them. Wasn't he uneasy at this height? Didn't he wish he were down on the ground, by the side of these people among whom he belonged? Wouldn't he rather tell jokes than paint? He didn't know why it was that everything his peasant hand touched was transformed into a miracle of beauty. To be sure, he was rather fond of drawing, but for years he had never taken his talent seriously. When he was a lad of nine, watching his flocks in the pasture-lands of Tuscany, he whiled away his time in sketching rude portraits of his sheep with a piece of slate on stone. And one day a great man, who had been traveling through the countryside, stood over the shoulder of the boy and quietly watched him at work. This man was Cimabue, the foremost painter in Italy. And as he stood silently at the birth of genius, who knows what thoughts came to him? Perhaps his mind went back to the star-guided, wise old men who had stood at Bethlehem at the scene of another simple birth twelve hundred years before. Cimabue prevailed upon Giotto's father, the village blacksmith, to have his son apprenticed to the painter's trade. Cimabue took Giotto to his shop. In the early days of the Italian Renaissance, the painting of pictures was as much of an industry as the grinding of lenses or the cobbling of shoes. The master painter lived on the commissions he received from the popes, the bishops, and the lay nobility for portraits, wall frescoes, enamelware, and bronze. He had a flock of trained assistants who ground his colors and executed the details in the pictures after the master had drawn the general plan. To Cimabue's shop went Giotto. He left the heritage which had been handed down to him from generations, labor in the hot Italian sun. Before his death, every large city, every important church in Italy, bore witness to his strange genius. He was the first giant to appear on the scroll of immortal painters in more than a thousand years. 3. The times in which Giotto lived were years of storm and stress. The Italian peninsula was dotted with small independent cities, which recognized no other authority than their own sovereignty. They pitted their small armies and navies against one another in a million squabbles for the greater glory of the merchant leagues that controlled the civic life of the people. In addition to the constant trade wars, bands of professional robbers, or condottieri, swooped down from the mountains and plundered travelers of their wealth. It was an age of political and social anarchy. Feudalism had made comparatively little headway in the Italian peninsula. Italy was largely a land of free men, Bondone, like the stock Giotto himself had sprung from. Giotto was proud of his political independence. Once he had been summoned to Naples to paint some pictures for His Majesty, Prince Robert, one of the few tyrants in Italy. 
Giotto painted, among other subjects, a piece which he announced was a representation of the kingdom of Naples. He drew an ass with a saddle on its back, sniffing at another saddle that lay at its feet. "'What in the world does this picture represent?' Robert asked him. "'Your kingdom in miniature, sire,' Giotto replied. "'The ass bearing the saddle stands for your people. "'There is no one astride him, for he has kicked off his ruler. "'And see, he sniffs at the saddle on the ground, "'looking for someone else to ride him. "'Upon my word, sire, every bit of this will happen "'if you do not unsaddle the ass.' and treat him as a man. Giotto was bold with his brush even more than with his tongue. His genius took wings and alighted with its message of color in every nook and cranny of Italy. It broke the silence of a thousand years and began once more to recognize the aspirations of the common man. Crushed by the trampling of the barbarian hosts who had surged into the Roman Empire during the days of its decline, the common man had been chained to the soil. He had become, under the institution of feudalism, a slave with a finite intelligence, but with an infinite capacity to bear pain. He lived on his lord's domain and plowed his soil and grew his crops and paid his taxes. He had no personal or legal rights. He was a chattel, with as much dignity as a piece of household furniture. He imagined, in a vague sort of way, that the angels inhabited the sky and the devils lived in hell, that heaven was meant for him in the end.